Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Hello, everyone, and thanks once again for tuning into the Western Hunting Hub podcast. Today, Clint chats with Ryan Smith from Hunt, Arizona, as they talk about over-the-counter hunt opportunities in Arizona. But before they get into it, Ryan wanted to make a quick correction to his on-the-spot response to the three types of turkeys in Arizona. The correct answer for the three types of turkeys that live in Arizona are Goulds, Marions, and Rio turkeys. We hope you all enjoy this episode, and happiest holidays to you all. Enjoy! All right, Ryan, thanks for jumping on the Western Hunting Hub podcast. I don't even have that down right yet. <laughs> I gotta make sure <laughs> that I'm saying our, our new name. It, it's just a little weird. There's a... And those of you that are listening, thank you for listening and following it, the uh, the transition there because not all platforms have that updated. So that's it's kind of a goofy thing. RSS feeds are a complicated thing for the average dude that doesn't understand technology. So that's a, that's a fun hurdle to navigate. But anyway, that's not important. Ryan, uh, you... I think we're probably listener number uno, <laughs> almost. Awesome. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I, the, the opening days of submitting my my first episode, I sat there and was looking, oh, I got a listener. Oh, I got somebody. I got a download. I got a download. So that first <laughs> first two days, I was like, oh, I got five downloads. Text a picture of this screenshot. I got 10 downloads. This is awesome. And yeah. now we're... 10,000 plus and uh, um, finally getting to chat. First off, how did you find it? So uh, I was gearing up for an over-the-counter elk hunt, Colorado archery style. Um, I was getting ready for that and I just kind of wanted something different to listen to. So I jumped on my my podcast platform and, and looked at just typed in Colorado hunting podcast. And that was the thing that popped up um, for, I, you know, as you said, you used to be the Colorado hunting hub. Um, so that popped up right away. And I looked at the date of when the episode that I was about to listen to was, and it was actually the same day. I think it was like April 8th or something like that. Oh, so you were first listener. Yeah. <laughs> That's I, awesome. I literally, it, it popped up the day. Uh, the date on there and I looked and it was the same day. So I was kind of like, Oh, well that's weird, but huh. we'll start listening. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I, I know, I, I know there's a lot of really good pos- podcasts out there and I appreciate you, you having ours as, as one of those, um, yeah, no because problem. I listened to some, some of the greats and it's hard to measure up, but I, I just try and we we're just chatting before we hit record, but, uh, we're not trying to be famous and either you with what you're trying to do. Uh, we just, it's our passion and we want to, we just want to share. So first off, what, uh, what do you do? And, and then first off, what do you do professionally? I'd love to hear that. And then, and then dive into the, uh, on Arizona and the YouTube channel. All right. So, uh, I guess professionally I'm in the military. I've been in the air force for about 12 years now. Um, I, I was active duty for six years in North Carolina, met my wife, and then she was originally from Tucson. That's where I live now, Tucson, Arizona. 
Uh, she was from here. I left active duty, came here, joined the Air National Guard in Arizona, and, and that's where I've been for nearly six years. Um, so, yeah, professionally, um, I'm, I'm a military guy. Well, I appreciate um, you serving and what, you did, what you've done. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Instagram wise. Uh, so I have an Instagram page. It's at hunt underscore AZ. Uh, and it's really a, a page for, <clears throat> for the hunters of Arizona. Uh, I'm not trying to, you know, like you said, we, we spoke a little before this, but I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make money on it. I'm just trying to help everybody experience everybody else's stuff on, on, on a hunting platform. Um, you know, I'll, I'll share anything from, from spike whitetail to 200 plus inch muley to 400 inch elk, whatever you've got, uh, send it my way. If it's killed in Arizona, I'll share it. Uh, and I, I think it's doing well. Uh, I get a lot of, a lot of response out of it. Uh, and like I said, it's not, it's not me trying to promote any one outfitter. I do share outfitters, outfitters photos. Uh, but it's more me trying to spread the frosting on the cake for everybody and let everybody get a little piece of, of sharing their, their story or their adventure, or their, their kill across Instagram. Yeah. Um, That's and then cool things to okay. see. It's just cool, cool stuff to see. Cause, uh, now you and I are three, four States <laughs> as a crow flies apart yeah. and the hunting, even though, Western South Dakota is Western hunting. Uh, I will, I don't know if anybody's argued against that. I don't know. Don't care. Uh, but typically you're thinking Wyoming, Colorado, Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, Western hunting, Montana. And, uh, uh, the hunting is just so different. It's so different. So it's cool to see like-minded guys and gals that are doing what, what I'm doing states away and to see the opportunities that, and the things that they get to do right after work, they would go run out and they're, you guys are chasing coos deer and getting to know it and the, and the things you're learning. It's kind of fun to, fun to watch just as yeah. a, as an outsider. And then, okay. And I think, I think in reality, this page has helped me learn more than I think I've helped anybody else. I don't know. I get questions all the time. Hey, what's the regs on this? Or what do you think about this? Or, or whatever. I, and I answer the questions the best I can. And if I don't have the answers, I find them and get back to people. But, I'm originally an East Coast guy. I was born and raised uh, on a dairy farm in Western New York. So I grew up tree stand hunting. You go sit in a tree stand, freeze your butt off, read a book, and wait for nothing to walk past you. Um, And then, you know, I was pretty successful with that up and down the East Coast. And then I came out here and it was a complete new world. So I really appreciate the feedback I get from all my followers. And as well as the knowledge I get from them, whether I just have a conversation with them or I'm reading their posts or watching their little video clips, I'm learning, I think, more than they're learning from me or they're getting out of me. Yep. I would, I would mirror that as well. <laughs> I, I feel the same way. Listeners force me to, to figure out what I'm talking about or, yeah. or if I don't know or um, love the feedback. The feedback is fun. I love yeah. reading that. That's fun. And people, people come up with these questions that I'm like, you know, I've never thought that why this or why that. And so then it gets me digging into all this stuff and, and just gaining so much knowledge. And ultimately becoming us, making us better hunters. Right. So absolutely. Yeah. And then I interrupted you. You've got more to that. Oh, so I have a small YouTube channel. Um, in reality, we're not trying to to make money on it. We're not trying to, to blow it up or anything like that. If we gain followers or, or subscribers, I guess on YouTube, as they call it. Um, cool. That's awesome. We more or less started this. It's, it's me, my brother-in-law, his brother and their cousins. Um, more just started it as a thing to, for something to do, just another way to try to have fun with it. Uh, and also, um, my kids are growing up a little more than, than any of theirs, but they're all starting to have kids. So we want to be able to have the videos to share when our kids get older. I always wondered what grandpa's hunts were like, and that's pretty right. cool that, that you will have some of those to share. I hear stories of grandpa crawling through the field and getting too close to some antelope where he can almost poke them, but he never got a shot because yeah. he's too close. 
I've heard that story a hundred times, but I can't right. see it. <laughs> uh, you, as a little kid, you always think you, you picture that in black and white <laughs> because yeah, uh, right? it's not, uh, there wasn't color TV then. So <laughs> you wonder, no. yeah, you totally wonder. So that that's a cool thing. I never thought about that. And I don't, other than having pictures, I mean, that's, that's one thing that helps with that also is we have, right we have cameras in every in our pockets so we can take cool pictures and I can show my kid and you can show yeah. your kids what and grandkids what what we did way back when we could actually do it <laughs> and if, if i could if i could give anybody advice though if they're thinking of starting a youtube channel or filming hunts whatever whether they're just filming hunts to have the hunt being filmed the film or the filming of the hunt is by far your last priority. Like it's going to be cool if you get a kill shot on video, but I'd rather kill the animal than not get the shot on video. Like we, um, you know, we had an incident this year. We were elk hunting. Uh, something happened with the camera, spooked an elk. We had an elk at 24 yards. The elk could have been dead. Um, things just didn't go right. And so if, if anybody takes anything from this conversation, and you're going to try to film hunts, worry about your number one priority first. And that's harvesting an animal. If you get it on film, that's the bonus. You know, I almost don't like Remy Warren's solo hunter. Uh, I'm probably in the minority here (laughs) because that guy is a BA. He is, that guy's a hunter. He knows 10 times more, think hundred times more things than I could ever know. And, is way more successful but watching it it's almost like you would rather have someone there because he is trying to capture stuff and yeah it almost seems like it gets in the way sometimes so it's a whole it's a whole nother level of stress right and and hunting hunting is hard enough as it is then to add that extra layer onto it yeah um, and, and you know some people are going to disagree with me some people go out and they kill big animals every year good for you if that's your thing then that's awesome and hunting may not be hard to you but to the average diy guy hunting is difficult and to just add that one extra layer sometimes it's just not worth it yeah yeah i'm i'm with you but i do like remy warren don't think i don't like remy warren (laughs) yeah no i think everybody likes remy warren i think you're just thinking of it at a a different angle right right the stress factor that comes with trying to film and kill an animal at the same time. Absolutely. Or take your your buddy that's not it that doesn't understand hunting as well, and right that, and then on top of that, have a camera. I mean, the the one handicap already is there. You don't need another. Right. Um, so, uh, coos deer is your thing, and you've kind of you and I've messaged back and forth a ton, and I know I know that's kind of been something that's that has really driven you, and you've really enjoyed doing. What was it? I mean, you, you came from New York and hunted whitetails. What was the connection to coos deer? Like, what got you into that? Um, I guess, let's see, what got me into it is it was a whitetail. Uh, I love hunting whitetail. And before I came here, I had never rifle hunted in my life. Uh, New York, you could only hunt with shotgun, with a slug, or archery. So you're doing the same thing. So I chose archery all the time. So I, I've harvested most of my deer with a bow. Then I came here and went from a completely flat farmland to these big, rugged, rocky mountains or rolling grass hills or desert landscape. Um, and so just the landscape alone and the terrain alone really got me into it. And being up in the mountains, there was something about that for me. Uh, I think just because I didn't really grow up doing that to where I didn't really want to be down in the flats as much now don't get me wrong you'll find coos down low in the deserts in the flats um but it was just about being in the mountains and then everybody that i kind of i came in into a companionship with when i moved here most everybody was into chasing coos so i kind of just that's where my cards were placed as i was with these guys that only wanted to hunt coos and it's just to me it's a blast you get up there and you glass for miles and miles and hours whatever it takes and you just keep glassing and then you find these little creatures just cruising through these hillsides 
And you could be staring at it one second, and then the next second you blink and it's gone. They just disappear that fast or they blend in that well. Or the other way around, you could be staring at this hillside for four hours, and you swear you've looked at every tree. Then you look at this tree again, and boom, this gray ghost just pops into your scope. Or in, not your scope, excuse me, into your binos. Uh, and it just, once you do it, it just, or once I did it, it just became a complete addiction. Huh. And I've heard before that the 70s, 80s in Colorado were the heyday of mule deer. And I've also heard it's kind of the heyday of coos deer right now. Is that, is there some truth to that or no? Yeah. In the, uh, in the few years that I've been doing it, like I said, it's been about six years now. I've seen a popularity in coos deer just skyrocket. Uh, it seemed like when I first started doing it, um, you'd put in for a rifle tag and there was a few units that would have multiple hundred leftover tags. I mean, it would be nothing to see a couple of these units down South that would have anywhere from one to 200 leftover tags. And so the way the draw system works in Arizona which I shouldn't be saying this. This is like a secret that's no longer a secret anymore. <laughs> but whatever, we'll get it out there. Uh, so the draw system in Arizona, if you don't draw a deer tag, about two weeks after the results come out of the draw, they come out with a list of leftover tags, and you can put in for that leftover tag and not sacrifice any points. So what people were doing, would they'd put in for these deer tags, and then they put in for like these quote unquote trophy hunts or rut hunts, which we'll get into the rut hunt here in a little bit, but they put in for those knowing they weren't going to draw it because they didn't have enough points and then go pick up a leftover tag. So they were still able to hunt coos every year. Well, the popularity has gone through the roof with these whitetail and I'm starting to see less and less leftover tags each year. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Dakova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Huh. And yeah, bringing things to the light is kind of the that gray area of, of what we do in recording a podcast or running a Instagram or a YouTube channel, but again, how is how has hunting changed your life, my life, and how can it influence someone else? You know, so right, absolutely, creating some more opportunities. So whatever, <laughs> we gotta. And, and like like we said earlier, this isn't. I'm not doing this for me. If I can get somebody new into the woods or onto a hillside, then all right, that's awesome. That's a win. And I I have taken people that have never done any of this before, and just taken them out and sat them on a hillside and glassed deer, and some of them love it and some of them are like, well, this just isn't for me, you know? Yeah. And if you can create that opportunity for somebody else, then it could go on for generations after that. So Exactly. And so let's talk about Arizona hunting uh, specifically. Okay. And, and one of the big things is the over-the-counter opportunities. as that, Because that that has just kind of been – slid into places here and there and I keep hearing it kept hearing it kept hearing it on podcasts over and over again what yeah tell us about the -the over-the-counter unit hunting opportunities so Arizona has multiple over-the-counter opportunities I guess we'll we're already on deer so we'll dive into deer um you know starting at the beginning of the year January is an over-the-counter archery season uh in most units 
uh, for both coos and mule deer. Typically, that that over-the-counter tag that you're going to get is going to be in any antlered buck. Um, so the most of them, most of them start on January 1st and run the entire month of January. There are a few units that only do January 1st through January 15th, um, and I'm not sure if that's a population thing or a size management thing that Arizona is doing. Uh, and it seems like those units that are those 15 day windows do have a tendency to have larger, uh, larger bucks in them. But so you, that's your, that's really your first, your first chance in the year to hunt over the counter in Arizona. The good thing about January is if you buy your over the counter tag in January and you don't fill it, you can come back in August when the next over-the-counter tag, over-the-counter archery season happens. Uh, then there, there's a small season. It's about a month, mid-August to mid-September. Um, and it's the same thing. It's any antler deer, and it, it does fill most of the deer units. Uh, so then if you don't harvest an animal in that summertime hunt, then you get to go to the second half of December it's usually the last two and a half weeks or so of December where you get to hunt archery again and have one more chance at filling your tag. Cause the tag that you buy is good for one calendar year. But once you harvest a deer on that tag, you cannot purchase another tag in the state of Arizona until the next January. And those are spread out enough. It's not like a month season where you could come for the opening weekend and maybe the end and whatever else. It's right. spread out enough that that makes that feasible to be able to save your money and, and go on the trip in January and then, oh, I didn't do it. Well, shoot, I could take another week off in August and go again. Or, or yeah. in December, you've got all that time to to then, save up or, or to to do it again. That That's a cool opportunity. And the way that it works out is January is predominantly the rut. Like mule deer, mule deer are kind of tailing on the tail end of their rut going into January. I mean, this is from my experience. I've seen mule deer start rut a little earlier than the coos. Um, typically, coos really go hard into rut um, that middle section of January. And, and you will start to see the younger bucks in rut earlier. You'll see the pre-rut activity in December. Uh, so there's, there's a, a rifle hunt that's the second half of December that also goes on the same time as that December archery where they, people call it the quote unquote rut hunt. I don't really like it being called the rut hunt. It's not most of the time the deer aren't rutting or doing much rutting activity. They're broken up. Maybe they're back to single deer here and there. But um, anyways, back to where I was getting January, you get to hunt the rut. Like you get to hunt the rut. It's hardcore rutting bucks, fighting bucks. It's awesome. There's deer everywhere. Then if you can't, if you're not successful in that January, like I said, you get to move to August. Now it's a completely different game because most of the places it's a hundred plus degrees in Arizona in August and September, heck even into October. But, um, you know, you're looking at hunting a hundred, 105 degree temperature. So really your most important thing is water. If you can be in the realm of a water source, that's where you're going to have a a more reasonable chance at harvesting in that August September time frame. So, so uh, it, let's go, go back ahead. to January. So if yeah. in, in that rut, is there everywhere they're covering ground, they're moving, and you got a stick and a string in your hand? How how are what's the tactic? How do you how are you you just sitting in the morning and, and finding spots for they're going to be cruising by, or is it a spot and stock situation? What's the go-to that you like to do? So what I do in January is kind of a little bit of both. I'll climb up on a hill uh, and, and I'll glass and, and I'll glass as long as it takes. Um, in January, you know, I, I'm not, I'm, I don't like to call myself a trophy hunter. I've killed some bigger animals, but I'm not like, I have to kill something huge. But in January, because you have the rest of the year to hunt, I try to be a little more selective uh, and, and trying to find more of a quality animal. But what I'll do is I'll get on top of a hill, I'll glass, and say I find the, the deer that I want to throw a tag on, and he's running does. Uh, you, you can watch him a little bit because a lot of times they'll run does right over ridge and you'll never see him again. 
So when I'm glassing, I try to glass near a saddle because most of the time they're coming through these, these saddles, uh, chasing these does. But so if I can get it, if I can get in their way, that's what I'll do. And if I can watch them running an area and I'll, I'll pack up my glassing stuff and I will work in on them while they're chasing does and try to get between him and his does. Um, that, that tactic can be a little sketchy because you're moving. He's not necessarily watching you, but those does sure as heck are onto you. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is, you know, glassing them, they will bet at some point. They're going to bed later in the morning. Once they lay down, they don't typically lay kind of right on top of their does or right near their does. There's a, there's a gap. So what I'll do is I'll try to get in that gap to where when that doe stands up, he's going to stand up to walk to her, and I will try to get where he has to walk right by me. Um, almost almost like when you're out when you're hunting elk during archery, you send a collar backwards, mm-hmm. and the collar is pulling the elk right past the shooter. Essentially, the doe is my collar pulling that buck right past me. Huh. Interesting. So those are those are my those are kind of my January tactics. That and a lot of luck. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love luck. <laughs> uh, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah. And then August sitting on water, uh, yeah. back to December then what the heck do you do in December when it's pre rut or so? Yeah. So I, I, in reality, I guess that's the best way to call it is pre rut, um, or, or getting into a pre rut situation. That to me is, is spot stock. Um, I will try. And that, that's honestly where I've been the most successful is in December is spot and stock and just, just trying to get in on them. Cause they're still just kind of milling around. They're not, they're not running does. So you're not chasing them up this hill. And by the time you get there, he's two ridges over. He's just kind of moseying on probably going to lay down. Um, and, and that's the biggest thing is I, I like to wait when they lay down work in on them because they'll usually lay down they'll lay down for about a half hour they'll get up stretch pee spin around lay back down and then that's then once they lay down that second time they're usually down for a while like a couple hours so there's your chance to really get in on them tight and then you might have to wait for them to stand up and you just sitting under a tree 25 30 yards away from him for two hours waiting for him to stand up hmm. um but Spot and stock in December is is by far my favorite way to go. I have a friend right now that's he's been hunting the this water hole that we came across back in August. He's been hunting it the last couple of days just because in, we had cameras on it in August and there was deer everywhere. Well, now he's not finding anything. There's basically these tiny little three four inch spikes coming in daily. Nothing like we had before. So. I think huh. I think he's going to have to get up and and start trying to do the spot stock and start moving into their to their neck of the woods instead of them moving to him. Interesting. So the that tag is also good for mule deer, correct? Correct. And uh, I I uh, admitted to you that that might be where my uh, kind of drive would be to go chasing yeah. big muleys. Um, something about mealies. <laughs> they piss me off, but yet they're so cool looking. <laughs> yeah. I struggled and struggled the last uh, post rut here in South Dakota trying to get in on some stuff, and it just was hard. I, I if I knew the ground in my and in my head, it just seemed so so easier, so much easier. And right. I think in the coming years, as I learn this new kind of terrain, the prairie, I'm gonna get this figured out, <laughs> and it's a it's like a game, just trying to figure that out, figure out what they do. And, and right now I'm just making my stupid mistakes because I don't hunt much for prairie deer. Uh, right. But I don't know why I'm talking about that. <laughs> Let's talk about Arizona mule deer. Um, what, uh, what's the opportunity with that? Because we've got coos deer in certain areas, but yet you can get into some mule deer. What, what's the difference in their, their habitats that they hang out in? So pretty typically, and from, from what I've experienced, going into Colorado and other states, it seems your mule or your mule deer are more of a, a high elevation animal. And then your whitetail or your low elevation plains kind of animal. Uh, am I, am I right there? That That's not a bad assumption. I mean, okay. where I was that's, just at, the whitetails were on the river bottoms. The muleys were into the hills and there was a yeah. little bit of 
overlay in between. So not true in every situation, but for a general statement, I, I, I'd get on board with that. Yeah. And that's, that's like I said, that's my experience. I've hunted Colorado a few times and I've seen muleys up 10, 11,000 feet, but I see whitetail down in the river bottoms. Um, anyways, so it's the exact opposite here. Your whitetail are going to be your, your high elevation. And, and that's not necessarily true. I'm talking Southern Arizona, Southern Arizona, you get into the mountains and that's where you're going to find your whitetail and typically your muleys down in the desert. Now you go up into Northern Arizona where everything's higher elevation anyways, um, you're going to run into both of them at high elevations. Hmm. Uh, but here in Southern Arizona, typically you're chasing muleys down in the desert flats and whitetail up high. And then there's these like rolling hills, kind of grassy rolling hill transition areas where you kind of get both of them. Uh, and then the whitetail will venture further down than the muleys going up, if that makes any sense. The that's muleys a, don't go as far up as the whitetail go as far down. That's a really interesting phenomenon because what, like what you just said, the, the whitetails are typically in the river bottoms and all that elsewhere in the country. So yeah. what makes them so different <laughs> that right. it's just, that's, that's kind of cool to, to yeah. think I never heard, heard of that or thought about that. So that's cool. Uh, and, and so we can hunt mule deer during those same, same times. Tactics, Absolutely. tactics change or about the same. I personally, I think they're about the same. I think you're going to do a lot of glassing and, uh, and then spot stock. Once you, once you find them, uh, just get after them. Like I said, I, I try to get up on these Hills and try to find the coos. But if you, most of the time you get on the, in those transition areas or elevations and you're looking around for coos and you just turn your back and look down, you're going to start to run into muleys, especially these real Southern units down by the border. You'll find them. You'll find them in there pretty thick down in the desert right and then you like i said you turn 180 and you're looking at whitetail and then it, tactics it's it's the same spot and stock cut them off from their does and uh try to get in on them. Hmm. well here's my uh here's my secret that i don't know if is a secret yet because <laughs> i haven't had it work but it totally works in my head <laughs> so the i posted that picture of that ultimate predator decoy that bow mounted decoy oh yeah and I am convinced that thing's going to work. So the other day, kind of rolling over some prairie, or I was in the river bottom, I saw some whitetail because there was a, some other hunters. I think the white, the other hunters bumped those those does, whitetail does, or they were just kind of making their way up into the, the foothills a little bit. I don't know. So they were moving, but they didn't see me, and they're just not, not alert or alarmed at all. So I kind of snuck up a little closer. I knew they were just over the next hill kind of sneaked over and I, I just lifted that decoy up or lifted my bow up and just had that be in front of me and saw their backs. One was at 65. One was at 45 out in the prairie. There's nothing there. And right. snuck up over the fawn lifted its head, saw me and just stared. The mom looked at me and just stared. And I had plenty of time range. I could have drawn and I could have shot normal whitetail out in the prairie. If it had gone. seen me bolted, yeah, absolutely gone. So they do not, that company doesn't, I'm not endorsing them in any way. They do nothing for me, but just a product that I found that I am sold on and it hasn't even worked for me yet. <laughs> so, just giving you that extra couple of seconds to, to pull that shot off. And I think that's where some of my downfalls have been is rushing a shot and not settling in, settling the pin, pulling back on that, my, my back muscles and letting that trigger, letting that thing fly. So I think that that's something that's going to help me quite a bit. And and I encourage some people to look though. They're not cheap. They really are not cheap. And I'm, I want to try it for elk here. And then I'm going to have to look into those. Yeah. It, it, for solo hunting elk, I think I would have, I would have tagged out a little sooner because I was that thing at thirty yards that they couldn't see was there, but they knew it wasn't a cow. Yeah. But if they had looked kind of through and seen 
hey, there's a cow there. Okay, everything's all right. Or I'm going to go over there and check it out. Then I probably could have gotten that shot opportunity. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. So a little shout out to a buddy in Colorado that, that kind of led me to them. And so try tried them out because you use it, any of those other Montana decoys, whatever, and you're fumbling around with stuff. You can't draw with them. I had the that Montana decoy antelope hunting, and I set that thing up, and the wind's blowing, and I'm holding on to that with, like, my pinky and ring fin- finger, holding with my bipod with my index and, and thumb and holding on <laughs> to my gun in there, too. And, and the buck's running in, trying to run that, that uh, decoy over, that little buck that, from my decoy, run it yeah. off. And he stopped at 80 yards, chip shot, <laughs> but yeah. holding on to that, that decoy that's blowing just made me so steady. I, I put my finger on the trigger, let off like four times. Cause I did not feel steady just cause all the fiddle farting around with a stupid decoy doesn't, doesn't work solo hunting. It's tough. It's really tough. Mm-hmm. So this, I think I'm going to try those a few more and I'd love to buy the, Love to buy the mule deer, and I'd love to buy the elk, because so far I noticed the uh, mule deer don't care for the white-tail decoy. <laughs> uh, right. it, yeah, there's. I thought there'd be no difference, but I think they kind of know. <laughs> but you know, one one other thing that I think would could give you a leg up, especially in the desert. So everything you walk on is super loud here in the desert. It's the, the sound just carries everywhere because there's not you're not in thick trees for it to knock your sound down and everything's crunchy it sounds like you're walking on a box of cheerios um so if i give anybody a tip bring like a pair of if you if you don't want to go spend the money on i think they're called like bear bear paws or something not the not the boots that ladies wear i'm talking these things that strap <laughs> yeah. to the bottom. they strap to the bottom of your feet and it makes your walk into the desert real quiet. Huh. What I do instead of that is I just go to like a dollar store and buy a cheap pair of slippers. Hmm. And then when I'm going to go in on a stock, I take my boots off and start hiking in these slippers to be super quiet. Um, huh. I didn't, and then I didn't little, know that. A little piece of advice for that. If you're going to do that, put your boots in your backpack. Don't leave your boots there because you might not remember exactly where you left them. And you don't want to have to hike back and look all over this hillside for them. Everything in the desert does poke you or try to stick you in some way or another. So before we hit record two, you're mentioning other over-the-counter opportunities. So that's the the popular one now is the mule deer and the coos, but there's other stuff there. Correct. So uh, we'll jump over. There's there's an over-the-counter turkey tag that runs uh the same time as your august september deer tag so if you're in there's not many units that have that over the counter turkey tag but if you happen to be hunting deer in one of the units where they coincide it may be worth your money to throw that turkey tag in your pocket uh and that's up to you that's depending on your budget it's not something that i think you're going to have a high chance of success at billing but if you see one, you got the tag. Uh, and those are see, all, those are all reels, right? Uh, no, we have um, there's Gould's turkey down here, and then yes, there's uh, what is it? The Gould's and Merriam's. Merriam's, thank you. That's oh. the that's what I was looking for. Oh, okay. I didn't. I am not. A, a well-versed turkey hunter <laughs> yeah i i'm not i don't really ever really get into the turkey here i did it more on the east coast i don't chase so much here huh. um so anyway so that was your that's your turkey opportunity and that's an archery tag then you go into pushing into the fall you can pick up a an over-the-counter bear tag uh for many units 
And those are typically rifle tags. Uh, well, you can archery hunt them if you want, but that usually starts in October. That season runs you from October through December, I believe. But the weird thing is here in Arizona, say you're hunting unit. Let's see what's the unit here. Uh, 33, right outside of, of Tucson. You're hunting unit 33 for bear. And there's an, uh, a harvest limit for sows. So once, I believe it got bumped to two, but it used to be one. I, I could be wrong in that. But once, say, one sow is killed, that hunt is closed. That unit is closed. Hmm. Uh, and so you have to, once you kill a bear, you have to report it. And then there's a there's a 1-800 number that links you to Game and Fish that you're supposed to call daily before your bear hunts to, to see if it's updated. And it will tell you if you're, if, which units are closed. Uh, so that's on your, that's on your responsibility to follow up with that daily as you're bear hunting. But there is an over the counter bear opportunity there for you. Hmm. And then stepping over, there's Havelina. Uh, Havelina is, which a lot of people, I guess, will, will cover that. A lot of people don't know what a Havelina is. Um, it's essentially like a pig. It's not technically a pig. Everybody calls them a pig, so they're a pig. But they are a rodent that runs the desert about the size of a pig. They run in these little herds. Um, very poor eyesight, so they're they're fun to hunt with archery because you can get in on them. But that's the month of January. And then there's some other over-the-counter opportunities in the fall and also December. So if you're hunting January or December deer, that tag is also very well worth it to put in your pocket. And that one has a, from my, my experience, a pretty high success rate. Hmm. That'd be fun. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's just an extra tag to have in your pocket. And it's fun because you could be glassing deer or not glassing deer all day long and then see a herd of javelina and say, well, what the heck, why not? Let's cruise up and stick with them. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then mountain lion is an over the counter tag as well. So um, and that, oh, go ahead. What do these things run? So you're, we've, we've done most of this conversation on deer. So we'll go your deer tag for your non-permit is what they'll call it. in the Arizona regulations book is $300. That's for your non-permit tags. Your typical tag for, uh, for deer as a non-resident, I believe is like three, 15 somewhere in that range that's for a rifle tag yeah uh bear tag is 150 i think your javelina tag is about 100 or 115 and then your turkey tag is i think 90 and mountain lion is in the range of 75 ish to 100 but this is all for non-resident right that's what i was just going to clear up it's like obviously that's non-resident we're talking about that yeah um so and not then, horrible. Uh, and a deal. No, your resident, your resident license fee that you have to buy also, cause you have to buy your, or excuse me, I said resident, you have to buy your non-resident license on top of your tag. I think that's pretty typical for any Western state. Yeah. Um, but your non-resident license fee is 160. And then you have the prices of those tags. Uh, Arizona does have an incentive for, to get youth hunters in youth hunting license is five dollars that's resident or non-resident oh wow so i think that's a big incentive to try to get obviously youth hunters into it but the other idea is if we can pull out-of-state youth hunters we can also pull out-of-state adult hunters how do they how Um, old do they got to be 10 oh and then the uh the the deer tag for a youth is i think it's like 63 some in there 63 65 whatever wow well i better make it before eight years down the road but i'll be there in yeah. eight years Fair enough. <laughs> yeah you better come on before that i know i know uh i took a state job and the pay isn't that great <laughs> yeah but uh yeah i will supplement other things to make sure i can hunt because that's i've been thinking about the the arizona hunt for two three years now so it, yeah. it's on the list. This would have been probably a good year to do it had we not uprooted and 
totally changed our lives completely. Changed, yeah. <laughs> but, changed everything around. Yeah, yeah. Or living in a camper, uh, a twenty foot camper with a two and a half year old, uh, trying to potty train, and oh, it's it's winter in South Dakota, um, <laughs> <laughs> and it, yeah, the it's not fun. <laughs> really, I want to get in the house so bad, but everybody wants to move to South Dakota. A ton of people are moving to South Dakota. Uh, just because they want to hit a rural area and it's just the influx of people into rural areas is kind of crazy right now. Uh, and we're, we're experiencing it. So anyway, uh, it's going to happen. Are you at least setting up a Christmas tree for them? I mean, we're two days before Christmas. Oh yeah. Yeah. We have a two foot Christmas tree in our 20 foot camper. Uh, we've got lights around the top, uh, on the inside and we're actually going to head to the in-laws and go stay in a house. What a luxury. Oh. We're going to stay yeah. in a house, our, our, my in-laws. And uh, so we're, yeah, we'll be, go be with family, which that was the whole reason to move into South Dakota is to get closer to to family. Yeah. And, and so we can, yeah, have a normal Christmas, not in a camper. So, right. but I tell you what, like, like we were talking earlier, South Dakota's got some opportunities and, and I, I know you just mentioned that you were sold and going to come on up because there's some, there's some good hunting. There's some good hunting and it's gorgeous. It's just cool, cool hunting. When is the uh, when's like the draw deadlines that I need to be looking for for South Dakota? Uh, the archery you got to have that by April like first. That okay. is a brand new thing uh, as of a year ago or so. So, but it's a statewide archery. You don't have to make any decision on where you're going, what unit, anything. You just put in for the statewide tag and you're good to go. Okay. And and not have to worry about and they do have an East River tag, a West River tag, but that just allows you to have a West River tag and a statewide tag. So you could pick up two two buck tags if you really wanted to, but if you're doing it with a bow, I'd say one's good enough. Just, just focus uh, on one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh but yeah, they switched it from previous years where you could apply and it would literally show up three days later in the mailbox. So they, I think just because of the amount of new archery hunters across the country, they, they've made people plan ahead a little bit more or something. I'm not sure. And so, yeah, April, April 1st is that deadline, I believe for that. So for non-residents, for residents, it's different. So make sure, yeah, get in for that. Uh, the other, other thing just missed by probably 10 days is putting in for other preference if you're looking for preference points for rifle anything they're like ten dollars for preference points for non-residents you don't have to buy a license you don't have to do anything so i had been putting in for west river deer antelope and one other thing uh i lost all my elk points here because it's not open to to residents so i'm starting back at zero and it takes 15 to 20 to draw an elk tag in south dakota Ooh, that but, hurts. yeah yeah but there's good bulls really good bulls yeah. and it's it's like probably a little bit more opportunity than nebraska but nebraska you see them hogs that come out of there there's tons mm-hmm. of upper 300s and 400 inch bulls that i just see like that's all that gets posted <laughs> monster bulls um, but yeah yeah so anyway highlight of couple of fun states more so important that I wanted to chat about Arizona because that's coming up what uh what do you got rolling here so well I guess are you just finishing you you've just finished this I guess tag but you filled it which which season did you fill this tag tag in so I filled my rifle coos tag in the middle of October on a rifle hunt it was the first rifle hunt in the unit that I, that I chose down South. Uh, I, we filled that on, I think the third day, my brother-in-law and I doubled up. Uh, we got into these two bucks early in the morning, followed them around a mountain for roughly two, two and a half miles, found embedded again, shot one thinking the other one was going to stand up. He never stood up. We waited an hour and a half. Then I dropped him and they were literally four feet apart. Uh, so that was a pretty awesome hunt. Oh, wow. Um, but right now I'm working on my wife's archery tag. She's archery hunting in December. Uh, she archery hunted a lot in the August, September 
Uh, just kind of had an unlucky run at it for a little bit. Uh, so we got her some new equipment. We got her a new bow, and now we're trying to get her into that. And that will also probably be my main focus for January is is her archery tag as opposed to mine. Yep. And then getting that af- getting after it then in August and yep. December? Correct. Awesome. And probably also, I'll, in reality, I'll spend a lot of my January small game hunting. I guess that's something that doesn't get touched on a lot in any hunting conversation is small game. If you do decide to come to Arizona, bring a shotgun. There's quail everywhere. There's rabbits. There's small game all over the place. And And it can just be a fun way to burn an afternoon. If you just need to get away from the hills to chase and deer, you want to just go shoot, go shoot some quail, go shoot some rabbits, whatever you need to do. My buddy cooked up some quail the other day. Oh my gosh. That that was something else. I had it after it had been off the grill, and he brought it to me in a Ziploc bag like an hour later. Not fresh. It so and it was fall off the bone. I ate like, I think he only gave us six of them, but I ate three. My brother ate three. Those were good. Yeah. I, I hadn't, I've shot one quail in my life, and yeah, it was good. It was yeah. really, really good. So. Yeah, I'm looking at throwing some on. I do, on Sundays, I do a, a smoker Sundays series i do it every other sunday where i'm smoking i'm throwing just some sort of arizona wild game on the smoker cooking it eating it posting about it uh and one of my upcoming ones is going to be quail i've i've come across this like sonoran desert recipe where it's a uh, prickly pear barbecue sauce with some other mesquite rub into it and sounds delicious so i gotta try it yeah well, I got my Traeger ordered. It's on its way. So nice. uh, that's what the campground smells like on Sundays is uh, everyone's smoking. And yeah. I don't even have much for a grill at all. So we're eating macaroni and <laughs> sloppy yeah. joes. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. So I'm I'm excited to mess around with some, some smoker cooking and really change the game for a wild game. So that, that I think can definitely change the change the opportunities for what you do with wild game but um i'm not sitting in my camper right now i'm sitting in my truck uh freezing my fingers off (laughs) okay (laughs) and so i'm gonna need to probably let you go here and and we kind of wrap this this up pretty well um yeah but uh yeah in, in the new house i'm putting in a studio i'm with my mounts, my whatever, I'm gonna get a studio. I'm gonna make sure I'm gonna have a studio, so that com- awesome. can't come soon enough. But I really, really appreciate you, you Ryan, and and the the following and the comments and the and so far the friendship we've we've created out of nothing, and, and so yeah, that's absolutely. that's that's fun. And the reason why we do this is the networking and the connecting with people, and and uh, we've never met face to face, but someday we will, and we'll go on a hunt. Whether Absolutely. that's here in South Dakota or down down in Arizona, so I'm looking forward to that. Well, I yeah, appreciate cool. you, and we will let you go. Awesome, thanks a lot, Clint. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.